Please bow your heads and pray with me. Holy Spirit, we give you thanks that you have set aside this time and this space for us together as a church. A time in which we gather to praise you, a time in which we come before you in prayer, a time in which you teach us through your word, a time in which we seek clarity, asking you to reveal your will for us as a congregation and for us individually as your people. So, Lord, as we come before your word, we ask that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive the message that you have for us this morning. And, Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, we are in this series called Clarity, in which we're looking at who we are as a church and why we do what we do. And to help us gain a little bit of clarity about that, we've been going through this series and asking a series of questions. Questions that we hope will help shed some light on basically our mission and our vision and our values. And as I was thinking about questions for a moment, I couldn't help but think about my kids. Because if you have kids or, you know, you, you're, you, know you had small kids and now you're having others, you probably remember back to when they were really little. Right? And there's just this constant stream of questions that force forth from your children. I mean, everywhere we go, it doesn't matter what we're doing, my kids have questions about what's going on. Papa, what's that? How does it work? Why does it do that? Why are we listening to this? Where are we going? Who's going to be there? What are their names? And so on and so forth. And I mean, to the point where you kind of almost get bombarded by these questions, and it's a little overwhelming, isn't it? Right? They just keep coming. But as I stopped and I thought about that for a second, I realized that it's really natural for kids to ask tons of questions, isn't it? I mean, questions is the way that our children begin to understand the world around them. They're inquisitive. They want to know what's going on. They want to know how they can participate. It's their way of learning and understanding. And I think it just reveals a very natural human tendency that, to be curious, to look at the world around us and to ask questions in order to gain clarity. Ask questions in order to gain some understanding. And that's why, as we've gone along in this series, we've asked a series of questions. The very first week, we asked the question, why are we here? We said the reason that we're here as a church is so that everyone might experience the abundant life that Christ has for them. See, we believe that God loved the world so much he came into this world, that he lived among us, that he died for us, that he rose again so that we might have eternal life with him. And his desire is that we wouldn't just experience that abundant life in the future, but that we would begin to experience that abundant life now as we follow him in the mission that he's called us to. Desires that people experience that abundant life in Christ. Last week we talked about how do we behave. Pastor Dave spoke specifically kind of about our family values, our, our family's rules. He said, What is it that makes us a family as Trinity? He said that our family is really about three things. The first thing that we're all about is we're about being teachable. That it's our desire to constantly be learning. That we might better follow God into what He has called us to do. The second thing, a value that we have is that we're soft-hearted. We desire to grow in compassion and love for each other and for the world around us. And that 
that leads us to the third value of we are outwardly focused. We are focused not just on the people who are here within our four walls, but we're focused on the world that's out there. No, we're focused on our community. We're focused on our nation, and we're focused on our world. Those are values, is And this week, we ask one more question, and that question is, so what is it that we actually do? What do we do as a church? And the answer to that question actually is pretty darn straightforward. It's very, very, very simple to answer that question. It's pretty easy to answer that question because it's an answer that Jesus himself gave to his very first disciples. That after he died and rose again, he, he met with them and he gave them a commission. And he said this, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, when we as Trinity ask the question, what do we do? The, the answer is the same answer ideally that every church that's reading scripture and desiring to follow Jesus should give. It's that we, what we do is we go and we make disciples. It's easy to answer that question. We say we go and we make disciples. And thinking about that, that word disciple, I think it's important to understand what we mean and what Jesus meant when he said this. Because you see, that word for disciple in the Greek is the word methetes. And methetes, the, the verb form of methetes, is, simply means to learn. So a disciple is simply a learner. And to be a disciple of a rabbi meant that you weren't simply studying scripture, you weren't simply studying tradition, you were actually learning the way that your rabbi lived. That to be a disciple of a rabbi meant that you looked to that rabbi and you wanted to know and to understand how he did life. Not only what he knew about his faith, but how he put his faith into practice. In fact, I've heard this said so many times, I don't even know what the original source is, but there was an ancient blessing in Jesus' day that said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. It was this idea that you followed your rabbi so closely that you were literally covered in the dust that he was kicking up as he walked. And so when we think about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, uh, Mike Green in his book, Building a Discipling Culture, said this. He said that a disciple of Jesus is simply a lifelong learner of Jesus. The disciples of Christ are lifelong learners of Jesus. And this is part of the reason why we as Trinity, when we talk about our mission, we say that our mission is to look, live, and love more like Jesus and to help others to do the same. Our mission is to look, live, and love more like Jesus and help others to do the same. And we just kind of simplify that and just say more like Jesus. We want our lives to be more like Jesus and we desire that those that we meet would also become more like Jesus. So what do we do? We make disciples. People who want to be more like Jesus. That's it. Uh, that was less than five minutes. How do you actually help people to 
lifelong learners of Jesus. I mean, here we are, 2,000 years after he lived, died, and rose again. And the question is, well, how can we today actually help people be lifelong learners of Jesus? How do we do that? And I think the answer comes when we take a look at how the early church did it. How did those first disciples, after Jesus ascended into heaven, how did they live out this mission? And so to help us gain a glimpse into that, I want to look again at the passage that was read earlier in our service from Acts chapter 2, verses 40 to 47. Now this passage is actually printed in your bulletin insert. I want you to have that in front of you as we read it again together. I want you to listen to these words. Here's the context for this passage. It is Pentecost. Jewish people from all around the Roman world have come to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. And it's at that festival that God pours out his Holy Spirit on his first disciples. And Peter gets up and he preaches his very first sermon. And he tells people, quite simply in a nutshell, that God loves the world. That in fact he loved the world so much that he entered into this world. That he became one of us. That he walked among us to serve us, to show us the truth. But the sad, the sad news was that we rejected him, we killed him and put him to death on the cross. But even that was not enough to crush God's love because God rose again from the dead and he now gives forgiveness and eternal life to everyone who believed in his name. That was the content, the core preaching of Peter's first message is that God loves you so much that he came into this world, died and rose again. And upon hearing that message, the people ask him, then what do we need to do to be saved? saved? And that brings us to our passage, which reads that in many other words, Peter warns them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, as we read that passage again and we take a look, this is, the, this is probably my favorite description of the early church that we have in Scripture. I love these seven verses because they're just a beautiful picture of how this early community lived out that vision. And so as we look at that passage again together, I want to ask you a question. What are some of the things that you notice in this passage? That's not a rhetorical question. I'm actually asking what are a couple things you notice And they were devoted to what? Right, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. What else about this community? What was that? They're gathering together. There's a lot of together words, right? They're gathering together in various places, in homes, in temple courts. Good. Where else? What else do you notice about this, about this community based on this passage? What does it say? Okay, prayer. Thanks, Evan. Prayer is a big part of this community. What else? They ate. They ate together. Right. So there's there's meal go, there's meal time and fellowship taking place. Anything else? 
Okay, they meet every day, they sold property and possessions. Anything else? They spent a lot of time in right? What I love about this passage is that in these seven verses, we get a beautiful picture of how they understood what it meant to make disciples. And in fact, in this text, I would argue that there are three things that we learn about disciples. The first thing that really stands out to me is how this community is started. This community is started and sustained by first and foremost the preaching of the good news. This community is born in response to Peter essentially saying God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. They're born in response to the message that God shows his great love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. They're born in response to this promise, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and this promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. They're born by the preaching of the good news. But the other things that we see as well is we see that there's there's that good news, that grace of God is also something that's given to them in baptism. You read that 3,000 were baptized that very day. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if I could get up and preach one sermon and have 3,000 people be baptized and join this church, like, that's it, light bulbs done. This is Peter's first sermon. Yeah, that's really humble. But it also says that they gathered together and they broke bread. And, and that, that actually, when scholars read this passage, they said, probably has a double meaning. It probably refers to the times they just got together and had dinner. But in the Christian community, the other breaking of bread that they often did when they would gather is they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. So what we see is that the word and the grace of God is preached, but the grace of God is also received in baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the first thing that that tells us about what it means to make disciples is that disciples are born by the grace of God. Disciples are born by the grace of God. That it's God's grace that calls to us. That it's God's grace that draws us in. That it's God by God's grace that comes to us, comes to us by faith uh, through Jesus, uh, in Jesus Christ alone. That gives birth to disciples. It's that grace that's preached, and it's that grace, that grace that's received in the sacraments. And this is why we as Trinity, we say that everything that we do as a church is going to be done in an environment of word and sacrament. All we need when we say that is we simply want everything we do to be focused back on the grace that God gives us through Jesus Christ. The grace that God gives us through Jesus Christ. So when we preach, you're going to when we gather together, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, receive that grace once more, that we're going to celebrate things like baptism as a gift of grace and life. The first thing we learn about disciples is disciples are born by the grace of God. But then what I find so beautiful is how that grace that overflows in the lives of these early disciples, because we read that some other things take place as well. 
we read that, yeah, they were devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, to the fellowship and breaking of bread. We also learn that they meet together in their homes, meeting with glad and sincere hearts. We also read that they sold what they had so that they could give to anyone as they had need. And as we look at those behaviors, these things that we do, what we realize is that these the behaviors can really be summed up in kind of three words. The early church worshipped, they connected, and they served. And they did this to nurture the three great relationships that every disciple needs in order to grow. First and foremost being that relationship with God. The disciples grow in relationship with God. This is why they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is why they continued to meet together in temple courts. See, back in those days, they didn't have separate church buildings yet. So they would go to the temple. That's where they would worship God. But they would also spend time listening to the preaching of the apostles. Meditating on that word and allowing it to nurture that relationship between themselves and God. But there was another relationship that was important to their growth, and that was the relationship that they had with each other. Because we read that they, all the believers were together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. See, one of the things that we say here at Trinity is you can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. The early church understood that if I'm really going to continue to grow as a disciple, I need to be in relationship with God, but also be in relationship with others who are part of the family of believers. And so they would gather together in order to grow. But lastly, we read that they served. They served their community. They sold their possessions and gave to anyone who had need. And this was them living out their relationship with the world. They understood that they'd been given a great gift in God's grace, and their desire was to then go out and bless others with that gift. And so they lived out their relationship with God, with each other, and with the world. See, this is the second thing we learn about what it means to make disciples, and that's simply this. Disciples grow in relationship with God, others, and the world. And disciples grow in relationship with God, others, and the world. And again, we as Trinity, as we think about us today, how do we do that? It's simply this. We worship, we connect, and we serve. We gather together in weekend worship. We come here to meet with the family of believers to devote ourselves to God's teaching as it comes to us through his word. To cultivate that relationship with God. But we also connect to get into relationships with each other. This is part of the reason why we have small group communities. And in fact, this weekend, we start a new round of small group signups. There's actually, if you go out to the connecting point desk, we have a list of the small groups that have already said we're going to be meeting this coming semester. And you can see who's meeting, what study they're doing, when they're going to be meeting during the week, and which date they're going to be starting up. The reason we do small groups is because we believe that you have to be connected relationally if you're going to grow spiritually. Lastly, we serve. We as a church are always looking to the community around us, to our country, and to the world, and asking, how might we go and be a blessing to those around us? How might we go and serve those with the grace of God? How might our deeds and our words proclaim His love and grace to those beyond our world? We worship, we connect, and we serve. There's one other thing really important to see in 
to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily. Daily to their number of those who were being saved. And again, what just blows my mind about that is simply this. That as they lived out their identity, they lived out their identity as forgiven and redeemed children of God. The grace of God flowed out through them to the world and more people became followers of Jesus. That because they knew who they were, how they behaved, and what they were supposed to do, more and more people came to see the love of God manifested in their lives. More people heard about the love that God had for them as spoken through their lips. And more people said, I desire to have that relationship with God. I want what you have. And as I think about the years that I've spent in ministry, I've been in ministry, goodness gracious, I've been in ministry since 2006, first in college ministry and now in church ministry. My favorite stories are always the stories that I see of when God's people finally get it, when they gain some clarity about who they are and the grace they've been given, and they start to live it out, and lives start to be transformed. I remember seeing it at UIC, when I was working on a campus where every group had their own kind of clique, their own circle. It was a campus that though it was incredibly diverse, it was also incredibly segregated. And then when this small group of students finally realized that Jesus loved them, that he came, that he lived, died, and rose again for them, and that they were now a family of faith, our small community began to reach out to that campus. And that group of 50 students was one of the unique places on campus where students from every racial, cultural, and ethnic background, from every socioeconomic strata, gathered together as a family. And I saw students who would walk into our weekly worship gatherings and say, what is going on here? How is this possible? And how can I be a part of it? But likewise, as I think about us as a family of faith here at Trinity, if you go to our website and you click on that About Us tab, you get this, like, mosaic of pictures. Pictures of people who are part of this church family. And what I, what's so amazing is when I look at those pictures, every one of those pictures is And as I think about some of you, and I think about your stories, that often what brought you here was you had a connection with someone. Someone who through their life and through their words showed you the God of love and grace, and you said, I want to have that too. How can I be a part of that community? In fact, yesterday we gathered together with some of the small group leaders, and Pastor Mark said quite simply, what does it mean for us to be a family of faith? We're a family of faith that does life together with God and That as we go and we live out that mission, that we know who we are and what we do, more people come to know about That teaches us the third thing about what it means to be a disciple. It's simply this. God works through disciples to make more disciples. God works through disciples to make more disciples. So when we say we're about making disciples, we're about being more like Jesus. It simply means that we understand that disciples are born by grace. They grow in relationship with God and others in the world, and that disciples make them more disciples. 
do we need to cultivate in our lives? In your worship bulletin, we got a card. It's a little something like this. It's a 2017 commitment to live God's abundant life. Last week, we gave you kind of a card to think about generosity and how we can be more generous. But this week, we want you to think a little bit about those, those practices of a disciple to ask yourself the question, where is God calling me to grow, to take the next step? Is it in worship, to cultivate my relationship with Him? Is it in connect, to get in relationship with others, or is it to serve serve the world around. What we want you to do is kind of like with that financial commitment card, we want you to take this commitment card home as a great life. And then next week is our last week in the series. Bring the financial commitment card and this uh, commitment to live God's abundant life card back. And write your name on there and say, this is the step I feel that God is calling me to take. And what we can do is we as a church, we can be praying for you, but we can also be finding places to support you as you take that step. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.